Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? <laughs> Arsenal have reached the halfway stage in their season having scored 45 goals with 50 points from a possible 57 and breaking all sorts of club records for performance at this stage of the season. Nevertheless, there was something about how they beat Man United yesterday that seemed to say definitively to people that yes, this is a serious team. They're five points clear with a game in hand on their nearest rivals, Man City. They've killed off whatever incipient title challenge Man United might have been about to launch and here we are. We must face the truth. Arsenal are for real. Hello and welcome to today's Second Hampton's Football Show. Hello there, Ken. Hello, Kieran. How are you doing? Now, this is a dawning real- realisation that might seem obvious to some people. It has been more difficult for others to come to that conclusion, though. For instance, I think it was only, oh, I don't know, let me see, was it last week that Gary Neville suggested that Man United would finish ahead of Arsenal in the league this year, which, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, seven mm. days hindsight, does seem a little unlikely now after mm. yesterday. Well, after yesterday and, and Thursday, mm. you know, uh, um, you, you know, United were pretty close to getting four points from those two games and ended up getting one and losing to Arsenal, kind of catapults Arsenal ahead of them. So, Listen, it was a fun couple of days for the many United fans out there. <laughs> I mean, how soon could the wheels really fall? Oh, that soon. The, the, the wheels <laughs> fell off that soon. Ah, oh, well. Yeah. C'est la vie, you know. Uh, we're still moving in the right direction. Yeah, uh, We've got Andrew Mangan, the Vars blog, and David Snade coming up a little later on. David was on a kind of a tramp across northern England, uh, checking out multiple Irish players playing for their clubs this weekend. Uh, he saw Haaland versus Collins. Hmm. Uh, he didn't see Evan Ferguson versus the Premier League. He's checking on all comers. He didn't see it in the flesh, but we'll find plenty of, plenty of time to talk about Evan Ferguson's brilliant late, late equaliser. Loads of football coming up on the World Service this week. And for a taster on what you missed out on last week, here's a bit from our brilliant chat with Ian Wright where he details the sort of chicanery he had to put up with in his early years of punditry. I found that I didn't get the opportunity to speak as much as I wanted to because everybody saw me as the jovial guy. I remember saying and doing an interview saying they saw me as a bit of a court jester because you'd have Alan Hansen would answer a question, Alan Shearer might answer one, and then by the time it comes to me, um, there's nothing really to say, but the, the, the like Gary Lineker's kind of finishing joke 
to link to the next bit. And finally, and thought, Ian Wright yes, for some banter. Yeah, and it, it felt like that. But what, what people didn't see was during the game, I would make observations. <laughs> I'd make observations of stuff that was happening on the pitch. <laughs> and then Alan Anson would nick it off me. So before, are you talks, serious? Yeah, he would just mention it. Well, that's the, shameless. The, did he? Did he do that first, more than once? Yeah but, yeah, but remember my inexperience at the time, just watching the game and said, "Oh my gosh, look at the right back. If he does that again, and they pass it there, then and then all of a sudden, Alan Hansen was like Gary Lineker would obviously go to him first. And so Alan Hansen, what I learned very quickly to not do anymore was. I would say so. And he would say that. So then what I'm thinking I'm going to get to say by the time they come to me with my question, it's, it's gone. Did it's you ever have, have words with him about that? Like maybe no. I'll stop stealing my... No. No, not at the time. No, because like what that showed me is that I had to learn to, to stop talking, bro. But the fact is, is that my problem was, is I was so passionate when I'm watching a game, watch so passionate when I'm watching a football match. I just say what I'm seeing. I say, oh my gosh, look at that. He's gone too far up. And then he'd nick it. Isn't it my stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so, then I, so you know what I mean. And so that's what happened. You ask anybody, ask anybody. If you ever speak to Shearer, ask Shearer if he ever if, if if he nicked any stuff off of him. <laughs> that was Ian Wright on the World Service last week. That's the sort of thing you can expect if you sign up for a five or a month plus VAT. Just log on to secondcaptains.com forward slash join and take it from there. Okay, let's report on some sport there, Ken. Well, let's report on Arsenal. Yeah. Suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's it, incredible. It is. They're uh, they're exceptionally good. <laughs> a, a brilliant, beautiful team. <laughs> this is amazing. This has uh, this has been a long time coming. Mm. This Arsenal team, um, uh, and there have been times when it seemed as though this was never going to happen again. Yeah, I mean, as recently as last May. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. But the way that they won that game yesterday, the way they just kept going and going and going in this quite methodical, very patient, but very determined way, just heaping more and more pressure on on Manchester United until they eventually cracked, was really, really impressive. Mm. Um, You know, they've had some good wins this season. I mean, they also beat Liverpool 3-2 earlier in the season, but that was kind of a slightly different game. You know, they ended up winning a penalty... Um, this one, I think, was much more controlled and, and dominant. And against a Manchester United who had been playing really well, I mean, notwithstanding the Palace mm. result, playing really well and got in front with a brilliant goal, which was the kind of moment that, you know, it's like I've, I've silenced the stadium. You know, I'm not yeah. just stuffing any of these guys. You know. And then they, they flash up those statistics. You know, United have these crazy statistics of, you know, if they score the first goal, they don't lose. Mm. It's like they're halftime, you know, if they're winning at halftime, the old traffic lights out. Yeah, yeah. 1980, yeah. Any statistic that dates back to 1985, Ken, I'm impressed by. Yeah. I mean, this the, this first goal statistic, I think, was, was 26 or 27 matches or something like mm. that. But, I mean, you know, um, once they get in front, it's it's difficult. Um, Arsenal got straight back into it with a, with a quite quick goal. Um, and then, obviously, kind of took the game to United throughout the second half and won. And I mean, Saka is just amazing. <laughs> like, it's, it's unbelievable how good this kid is. Yeah. Well, Arteta got booked for screaming at the officials mm. that about Luke Shaw bashing into Saka for what yeah. he was saying was the third or fourth time. The fourth time. He was brandishing four he fingers. Yeah, four fingers. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, you could see what this was kind of similar to what United had done against City, if you remember, the, every mm. time the ball was played to Mares in particular, Shaw was 
smashing yeah. into him from behind. And I mean, the point is, don't let the guy turn. You could see with Saka, whenever he did get the ball facing Shaw, what happened then was Shaw just had to retreat. Like, there was nothing he could really do. You know, he could try and tackle him. It's either going to be a foul or he's going to go past. And there's mm -hmm. nothing. So Shaw was just in the situation of, I just have to, I have to back off. And then it's like, I'm actually in my own six-yard box now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this situation happened so many times. Don't worry, the cavalry's coming. Oh, wait, it's Christian oh, Eriksen. Oh, God. <laughs> this is, his presence may not be the salve that I'm looking for. But it's just, it's just Saka can do so many things. You know, like, it's not like, it's not like, uh, you know, there are some players, um, Maris, I mean, Maris isn't a great example considering what he did just against Tottenham mm. recently with that great goal from the outside but like you kind of know what Maris wants to do when he's on the ball which is good inside mm. um, you know even Iron Robin who was like a really brilliant uh, dribbler winger scorer he did you did know what the idea was going to be there's such a thing as an Aryan Robin goal that I, it doesn't have to be Aryan Robin scoring it for me to think of him when I see it happen. But with Saka, it's just so unpredictable. You know, it's like, what's he going to do? Like, I mean, he can obviously shoot the way that he he um, did twice in the game, scoring. Well, I mean, he, he had five shots, but uh, I mean, the one that went mm. in and then the one that hit the post, similar types of shots he can dribble outside or inside he can cross left or right footed so what do you do the answer is i back off mm. and ideally somebody else comes and gets the ball off him while i'm backing away from him yeah <laughs> that's really you need two you need two players um so i mean yeah they, uh, it's it's a difficult problem for any team um, to solve and fewer teams are finding the answer to I me mean, even France in the World Cup obviously ended up chopping Germany chopped them down and um, that was having them got their, their goal in that game um, the other key player for Arsenal I thought was Zinchenko who just had an amazing game mm. and you know we'll talk about this with, uh, with Andrew and David later but it is really um, it is emerging as a massive mistake by Guardiola Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's to to give this guy to them. He thought, you know, it's like Matt Busby he with Johnny Giles. Yeah, which is that you can sell to Arsenal. That's not a see you later. Problem, yeah. Well, I won't be hearing from that guy again. You know, it's yeah. great. It's great for him. He's a lovely. He's a lovely lad. It's a. It's a, he'll have a good career down Listen, there. He's found his level, and we're delighted for him. He'll 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 have a good career. Big fish in a small pond. Um, you know. I won't ever have to worry about him. Mm. Let's just put it that way. You know, like when Busby packed Gilesy off the leads. Yeah. You know, I'll think fondly every time I hear his name, which I presume won't be that often. Won't be very often. Yeah. Over the over the Pennines and far away. Gilesy showed him though, didn't he? Yeah. Well, you know, this is like, you know, I mean, and again, with with from Guardiola's point of view, I mean, I, I've described it as a mistake, which might be, it's a, it's a bit harsh because from Guardiola's point of view, like he had a a better player in Cancelo or like a. It's hard to see how Zinchenko really gets in there all mm. that often. I mean, this is this is why Zinchenko wanted to leave as well, is because he's not a regular player in the team. You know, I mean, he was in he was in sometimes, and he was often good when he was in. Mm. I mean, the best example being well, the most recent example being the last game of the season when he was one of the key players in the game against Villa that City turned around uh, from mm. two 0 down to win the league, um, and he played brilliantly in that game. Um, but okay, he wasn't he wasn't playing enough. It's just that Arsenal had always been just so solidly ensconced in that second quarter of the Premier League table mm. that 
that from Guardiola's point of view, they might as well have been a second division team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like they're, they're not competing in the same bracket as Maybe us. I'll make Arsenal good enough to take points off Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was kind of the ambition. You oh know? no, I've created a monster. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually created a monster. Well, They've grafted on this super brain yeah. that I've just like thrown out with the trash and <laughs> suddenly it's like they've attained like a higher it, it's it's been mm. a quantum leap in their consciousness as a team like Zinchenko uh, Partey and Shaka are basically the, the Arsenal central midfield now except Zinchenko's a left back mm. which means effectively they've got an extra player like uh, the, these three guys are running the midfield uh, allowing um, the, f- the front four plus the right back who in this case Ben White played terribly um, he had he had a bad game and got subbed off at halftime after being mm. booked. Um, usually he's he's better than that, but those essentially those five players: Martinelli, Odegaard, um, Inkedia, I guess is the current striker, Saka, and then um, the right back can all just be a front five. And you know, I mean, the the way that they were able to keep the pressure on United with all these corners they had, Ten Hag, I. I fell around the place laughing at Eric Ten Hag's interviews. Not because they were they were ridiculous, but because I just thought they were I thought they were so good. Mm. But I just loved his anger. Like I loved how, how pissed off and how uh, kind of un- unforgiving he was of his team. Because this was like, you know, a kind of um, a brave defeat, let's say. Mm. You know, I don't think it's one that well I maybe I mean I should ask I should ask you here. Mm. But I don't I don't feel as though that losing that game, although it's bitter to lose a game, which is, you know, it's, it kind of has turned into such a big contest. You know, it's been such a great game. And obviously to lose a Lake goal is, is disappointing, but I kind of feel as though, you know... It would be hard to construct an argument that United deserved, you know, even a draw, to be honest. Arsenal were just, be- they were just a little better throughout the game. Um, and yeah, we're good. I mean, I thought yeah. United were, I thought United were good. And again, it's not one of these... Like you know, Solskjaer non-performances, shameful. That, like, oh, what a disgrace! No, you know, it wasn't like that. Yeah, I United didn't. were playing a really excellent team, mm. and they traded blows with them for a good portion of that game. And in the end, the slightly better team won. I think you know, I don't think there was a whole lot of anger there. No, um, or there shouldn't be. But there was from the manager. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, was the, he was the angriest Manchester United related person. Well, I, I mean, I, there, I saw some kind of idiots having a go at him because, oh, what do you mean? Putting on Fred. Yeah, I don't think I didn't. I, I was didn't, expecting that substitution a few minutes earlier than it came, to be honest. Well, I don't think Anthony had a very good game. You know, he, no. he, no, uh, he did not. He was not really, he was not really at it, but it's difficult, I guess, for a player like that. Um, in a, you know, it wasn't as though United, I mean, there were spells in the game when they had a little bit of possession, but they'd never really penned Arsenal back in the way that was increasingly done to them. Uh, in the game, um, you know, and and Arteta afterwards, like saying, "Well, look, we, you know, this was the kind of quality that he pointed to the the composure, the or the patience, the the ability to not basically get carried away by oh no, you know, the other United kind of taking the lead or coming back into the game just to keep doing, uh, just keep plugging away, mm. and that's really all they've got to do to win the league at this point." 
Yeah. You know, they're going on about oh the pressure, the pressure. And if you were to if you were to be Arsenal to think at the beginning of the season or even now looking towards the second half of the season, we're you know uh, it's us against this ogre Man City, like a bone crunching ogre mm. whose hot breath we can feel behind us. In you know Haaland is scoring again, bang bang bang. Um, that might start to get a little bit intimidating. But if you think of it in terms of just a series of games we have to play and a series of things we have to do in those games, which we know we can do and which we've been doing better than any other team, mm. then... Avoid defeat against City uh, at the Emirates in a couple of weeks' time, the 15th of February, I think. Mm. Uh, well, they're playing them on Friday in, in, the, the, in the Cup, yeah. which is kind of a, a weird... Um, yeah. What's, what does that mean? How, how do they approach that? Do they, I mean, I guess they have to try to... They have to try to win it, but then you've got this, well, if we really give it a go and they beat us, there's that kind of, you have to try, you have yeah. to try. I mean, I think it's the usual, it's, they'll make three changes to their regular team and then they can, there's plausible deniability on either side then. If mm. they win it, we were taking it seriously and if they lose it, they're like, well, we made a couple well. of changes, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, I actually thought that they were playing uh, City again reasonably quickly. Yeah. But I mean, it's their sixth last game in the league is City away which yeah. you know they're not going to have the league won by then but I yeah. think that's a pretty good time to have that game to be honest yeah um, they have all that I mean it's the end of April yeah so they have a couple of months there to give them more than enough room to, that if they lose that game it doesn't have to be fatal you know it, it's looking very very good for Arsenal now yeah it's looking great and you know I think I mean my feeling is that things are looking pretty good for Man United as well I know they obviously lost. Uh, they had some, you know, they they had had to play on Thursday, which obviously Arsenal hadn't had to do. Was it Thursday or Wednesday they, they played? It was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. Yeah, it was um, the City were playing. <clears throat> Sorry, that's yeah. right. Um, yeah, t- yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, City played Tottenham on, th- mm, on Thursday. United um, played Palace. Um, and then obviously Casemiro got suspended in that game, so they had to do without him. Um but I don't know. I, I just feel as though Ten Hag's uh, attitude is is promising for them, as opposed to standing there going, "Well, you know, we did well," and he's actually really pissed off. Oh yeah, I told you, you can't, you can't, you, it can't happen. A good team doesn't do this. Yeah, you know, you think you're a good team, well, you're not, not yet, not if you're going to do this type of thing. He's done so much right, really. Yeah, you know, even the games that he's lost, he's reacted well to them. You know, he he just. He seems like a proper a proper manager, you know, a proper manager like fully tuned in. Which let's face it, you know, they haven't actually had in quite a long time now. Yeah, um, I think so. You know, I think Louis van Gaal is the last if one who really fits into that category, and and things didn't really go so well ultimately for van Gaal. But uh, I was reading in the Sunday Times, Jonathan Northcroft had a piece on the the rejuvenation of of United. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was delighted to see that. Well, I was not surprised to see that they have um, the indispensable policy of resurgent clubs everywhere. Which is come on, uh, Mullinoygaga's Chucky Sheet. No, <laughs> no. Although although uh, giving youngsters a chance was one of the main <clears throat> one of the main uh, boxes they needed their prospective new manager of course. who ended up being Eric Ten Hag to, to tick you're looking for another guess come on here, you, know, you know what the policy is uh, <laughs> no 
Come on. No egos and no no dickheads. <laughs> no dickheads. And no dickheads policy. Yeah, That's what John is. John Murto, their uh, football director, has. Uh, I should have got that one, Ken. I'm sorry. You really should. I'm, I'm surprised. Sorry. Uh, no dickheads. Uh, also, this piece says that Casemiro was tracked all summer, which I was uh, United were grateful to the player, his agent, and Real Madrid for not letting the cat out of the bag until just before a complex deal was finalised. Um, I was surprised mm. by that because I thought, well, if you, if you tracked him all summer, why well, didn't sign him and start the, in time for the start of the season? Yeah. Rather than, I think he, I think his first game. Well, he remember he was there. Five, five ga- was it four or five games at least before he even started? Well, he was in the stands for for the Liverpool game. Remember when they yep. beat Liverpool uh, three? Was it three one, two one? Um, they beat them anyway, mm. and Casemiro was there smiling down, going, yep. "These guys, every time I see them, they're." they're Terrible. <laughs> it's worse Liverpool are getting. <laughs> these, these guys are awful. Seriously, they, how have they been, you know, every time I see these guys. Yeah. Just, um, but uh, what else was, uh, we then get a kind of a tour of, of United's um, much improved setup. Uh, close by is the manager's office. Under Ferguson, it was dark, panelled and austere. Perhaps a little overwhelming to some of his successors. Now it has been changed to a light-filled, white-painted space. So I was just the thought of David Moyes sitting there being intimidated by <laughs> Fergie's wood panelling. Uh, <laughs> just who knows what these wood panels have seen. Um, a few doors down a corridor is the players' meeting room, revamped for uh, £200,000 to Tin Hag's specifications. It has tiered seating, a big touch screen, and an even larger screen, costing £100,000, that shows clips in Ultra HD and can divide into numerous smaller screens. <laughs> Downstairs is a swimming pool and spa, freshened and retiled in summer. Ronaldo moaned about it to Morgan, but was referring to its pre-renovated state. Uh, the first team... I was like, Ronaldo, yeah. He's, the, the, we had a mention earlier of the fact that they've signed a new head chef, mm. Omar Mezian, poached from the England football and cricket teams. Mm. I was thinking... I'm surprised Pierce Morgan didn't tweet about this. Well, we're, well, they've they've obviously they've they're, they're responding point mm. by point to the to the stuff that Ronaldo whinged about. Uh, uh, the dressing room with nutrition station and screen showing Messian's latest menu was also redone recently. Players' names and their individual schedules are played on touch screens. Bruno Fernandes in A position in a corner. Martinez next to Varane. Marcus Rashford with Luke Shaw and Tyrell Malasia. So. I kind of thought this actually sounds is sounding a bit like a property brochure. Yeah, like what, I'm, what, I'm hearing, are we, what are we reading here? Well, it's 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 yeah. it's Jonathan Northcroft's piece about how Manchester United <laughs> gents' bathrooms on the return. <laughs> it's like, but I suppose this is a club. This this club is up for sale. You know, was that the thing south facing? Do we do we know which seen, direction these these rooms a, are facing? South no? facing, spacious. <laughs> um, Woodward never lacked passion or intelligence but just could not get the football side right. Arnold, who comes from a similar accountancy background, is a different character. He is an affable delegator who works out of Manchester, unlike Woodward, and empowers department heads such as Murtaugh, who worked for Everton, Fulham, and the Premier League before arriving at United. So, um, yeah, it's all it's all coming up uh, United. <laughs> it really sounds like it. I mean, who cares about the two last-minute goals conceded in the last uh, five days? Well, Eric Ten Hag does, you know? Mm-hmm. Look no further than the manager's office, the the airy uh, painted, the white painted manager's office for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, super pissed off. I mean, the question there is ultimately, like the you know he talked about the defensive mistakes from corners. I mean, the big mistake was giving the corner away, the the corner that yes. Arsenal ultimately scored from in the first place, and that was the Haya and Wan Bissaka. 
Um, and like that's a that's always going to be a problem. You know what I mean? If that you kind of you almost can't blame them in that sense. If you're saying do this, well, kicking the, the Martinez taking the original kick out to De Gea is daft. But then the pass to Wan Bissaka is you're not playing to the guy's strengths there. You know, no, no, no. And no. like that's you know that's just the reality of the situation. And you know he's he's a limited footballer. The and other, putting yeah. him in, putting him into that situation is that that's a player failure, but it's also a systems failure. Let's be honest. Yeah. Giving him the ball is in in the first place is a systems failure rather than just a player error. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it was a great game. We're going to talk a bit more about it with um, Andrew and David, but uh, also mentioned that piece actually was was United's link with Harry Kane. I referred to Jonathan Rockcroft's piece, mm-hmm. um, which is something that's been talked about a good bit recently. Um, but also, I see David Ornstein reporting today that Kane is open to re-signing with Spurs. Mm. Um, what do you think about that? In terms of Harry Kane, say if Manchester United go for Harry Kane, I, I would be very excited to see Harry Kane would? play for an Eric Ten Hag Manchester United. Yes, I think it's not a good move. I think, I think it's. I just think. If you if you're trying to do what what Ten Hag is, is trying to do is, is basically what Arteta has done, right? I mean that's that's like that's mm-hmm. what everybody wants, you know. Where there was where there was um, nothing, where there was actually, which reminds me, uh, we had an email, <laughs> we had an email from Sam McManus. Sam McManus says, "Dear second captains, as I'm sure you are aware, being keen students of Norwegian medieval history, correct, the Black Death of the 1350s had a seismic effect on the demographics of the country. That's Norway." 65% of the population died from the disease, leaving Jesus. many rural areas denuded of people. I would have thought Norway would have been better fit, uh, fixed for dealing with the Black Death. Why? Well, just it's a grand spread out country, God bless us, Ken. A lot of room there. You would have thought that, you know, it's not, it's not the most densely populated country in the world now, is it? No, but I suppose, how did they get around? How did they get around that country? What was the typical Norwegian method of transport? I would have said boating from fjord to fjord. Yeah. And what else What uh, else gets rats, on boats? Rats, of course. Well, look, I don't know. Thanks, Ken. It's, I, it's like, just thanks a for, I, I just needed to talk this through with you. You're absolutely right, of it's course. Just Continue, a please. Back many, to Sam. Many large farms, or guard, G-A-A-R-D, guard, okay. were left desolate, or Ode. They were gradually taken over by survivors who caused the land to bloom again. These people became known as Odegaard, the people of the desolate farm, the derivation of the extant name in contemporary Norway. I offer this information in light of the recent Arsenal Renaissance and in the event you're looking for a metaphor to murder. With regards, (laughs) Sam McMahon. You'd never murder a metaphor, Ken, would you? Uh, No. I would try not to. But this, I mean, what a... uh, what a what a great metaphor that is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, you but, know your metaphors, and that's a bloody good one. But you know, just taking over, just the land is bl- the land is blooming. Okay, Manchester United. Calling Unai Emery the black black the black death is, seems a little harsh. I didn't. I wouldn't pin it all on poor Unai Emery. Although the man they preferred to Arteta, remember at first time of asking. Yeah. Remember they, you know, he was second choice. Yeah. They only hired him after Emery, uh, after Emery was sacked. They went they went crawling back to him. And he said, okay, I'll forgive you. And, uh, no self-respecting man would take this job, but I'll take it. I'll do it. <laughs> this, is, this is still a, quite an attractive job. Uh, but 
This, you know, this is what everybody wants, right? Now, you do not get that by... Signing the likes of Harry Kane. Well, Harry Kane is a brilliant player, but Harry Kane is 30 in July. And you could, you reach a point where you've got too many 30 roles in your team for it to have a future three years down the line. You know, this is the problem. Like, they've already got Casemiro, who's 31 next month. Ericsson is 31 next month. Like, and these, these players have improved the team, mm, but like... Varane has been excellent. Varane, well, I mean, Varane is, is he is he 30 yet? I mean, he's he's in or around. Obviously, De Gea is a goalkeeper. He's, he's a little over 30, but um, it's not as pressing an issue with him. I just kind of feel as though you, you reach a critical 30 mass. 30 in April, Varane is. Yeah, so, so you reach a point where there's too many highly experienced players. Mm. Is there nobody younger at this point that Manchester is? Are they really for years? I know, I know what I know what you're thinking, and yes, what? they probably could pick up Evan Ferguson pretty cheap if they move now in this window. I actually hadn't specifically thought of that, but I honestly, well, I'm not going to say he would be a better signing than Harry Kane. No, no, just say it. No, I'm not going to say that because, like, Harry Kane is obviously a really top player, like one of the top players in the league and has been for many years but mm. for how many more years is the relevant question when you're talking about making a sign like this when I'm you're in a very NFL type headspace at the moment right uh, because the playoffs are on and I'm watching a lot of it and there are there have been teams the LA Rams won the Super Bowl last year and they've been they were absolutely they've been absolutely awful this year like the worst defense of a Super Bowl you've ever seen yeah. what they did was Bad they just champions. basically said go for now yeah. we win now who cares about down the line hmm. You know, it's a way of thinking. You know, you just put all your eggs in one basket. You say, we're just going for proven players, win, and then rebuild after you've won. I I really think they would be better off, you know, trying to do the Arteta thing uh, at Mm. this point. If you think back, how many of these players, and I don't really put Harry Kane in the same category as Ronaldo, because obviously he is still a relevant player. You know, uh, Ronaldo was like a ridiculous. But, But... Going back, Zlatan, Falcao, you know, Sanchez. <laughs> even, it has been it has been pretty Sanchez. hit and miss, all right. Yeah, even Van per- I mean, Van Persie was a year younger than Harry Kane would be. But when when mm-hmm. Van Persie joined us, twenty twelve, he was at that point a year younger than Harry Kane will be in August this year. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, and and obviously he had one great season, and then, uh, well, his heart was broken because who knows if Ferguson had stayed. Maybe he would have continued, but he fell yeah. off. He 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 disappeared uh, quite quickly after that. Um, I will say Manchester United did get one thing right, though. And I hate to... I mean, you mentioned Gary Neville earlier. Yes. And, you know, you were saying he was wrong about Arsenal, Manchester United. Well, he United. hasn't been proven wrong yet. But I he will say... Been pro- he hasn't been proven it, wrong it yet. It does look a lot worse now than it did even seven days. He before. has, though, been probably proven right that Manchester United were right not to... Go with Conte. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this this is a real uh, th- this is this is going really bad. Okay, so the so the stories over the weekend where he's not going to renew. I mean, kind of that's not much of a surprise. The, the debate at Tottenham currently seems to be more over should we sack him now or mm. just wait for this contract to run out? It's not a case of oh we wish he'd stay. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, the way that it was maybe a year ago when he was saying, oh, we need we need this, we need that. And people are like, oh, you know, what can we do for him to keep him here at a little club like us? We're so lucky to have this guy. It's kind of completely flipped now. And then there's this crazy thing that's happened with um, Juventus being docked 15 points for, like, fiddling their books. And 
Fabio Paratici, the Tottenham uh, football director, having been Juventus's sporting director for like 10 years while, while this kind of yes. stuff was happening. Mm, he's been banned for 30 months from Italian football, and it, it's not yet clear whether that ban's going to be extended. Mm. One way or the other, though, I think this looks very, very bad for him, you know? So what, what, what's the Juventus thing? Basically, it's been, it's been this long-running investigation. And, I mean, remember the Arthur, obviously Arthur Mello, poor old Arthur Mello, you know, he's, he's still recuperating at Melwood, you know, and, yep. and making good progress on his English. But... Uh, he he he's one of the key figures in the story. Just because at the time, the weird uh, the the deal by which Juventus and Barcelona swapped uh, Miralem Pjanic and Arthur Mello um, for insane prices, insane quoted prices, mm. seemed weird at the time. It's like hang on, see what? Like the, if if you remember the deal, it was like Pjanic went from Juventus to Barcelona and Arthur Mello from Barcelona to Juventus. And the price in the deal had Arthur, Arthur Mello, rated as a 72 million euro player. And Pjanic, who was, you know, uh, approaching 30, uh, rated as 60 million. Mm. And it's like, well, I mean, <laughs> what? Like, well, how do those figures make sense? So the point of this is that when, in, account, in accounting terms, if you uh, s sell a player for like 60 million, which yeah. is effectively what you're doing here, because you're yes. saying he's worth this and we're getting this. Then the the transfer fee, say that, so from Juventus' point of view, the transfer fee that they're spending, let's say on Arthur Mello, 72 million euros, is spread out over the length of Arthur's contract, right? So say if it was a uh, six-year contract, then that would be 12 million a year, Yeah. okay? Um, if it was a four-year contract, it would be 18 million a year. Can I do this? Am I going to do my own? Indefinitely. And vice versa. Whereas the 60 million that you get for s selling, again, mm. I'm doing the, the yes. quotes, selling Pjanic, you can log that in immediately. So you've got a big boost to your books. Yes. Um, you got a big, you got a big accounting boost, and this will enable you to kind of duck under all kinds of financial fair play, low hanging ledges and stuff that financial fair players put in your. So you know, yeah. my my books are in much other say. Only one problem with it is it's all total bullshit. Right, it's, it's complete, it's complete bullshit. It's like, and that's a problem. This is nonsense. And that's a problem. Right? It's a problem if you're if you're like Juventus, a kind of a publicly traded company that's supposed to be like operating with some measure of like. <laughs> it's just Control. bullshit. Yes, I'm okay. sorry, this is bullshit. So Juventus have been have been talking 15 points. Like once again, it's like, and you, it may not be just them, right? There, you know, in the mm. sense that there's quite a few clubs doing this type of thing to make the accounts look better than they are. But um, it's not a great one for for Tottenham, given that they've got Prodigy, who is, you know, who was working at Juventus for a long time under the under the relevant period, and has now himself been banned. I mean, it's just a, it's yeah, uh, and also the, the players they signed, you know, Romero, Kulusevski, um, uh, the other guy, yeah, yeah, where did they come from? Yeah, yeah, they they were they were Juventus players. Well, Romero was on loan at Atalanta, or. You know, the Atalanta bought him from Juventus and sold him the next day to Tottenham. It was, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, right? Well, that, that seems fine. Oh, the whole situation yeah. is going to take a bit of untangling. So they probably don't need uh, lengthy contract negotiations or, uh, res uh, you know, resignation negotiations with Antonio Conte on top of this. No, I mean, you know, I think they've... 
there's been a bit of patience lost. Anyway, we haven't heard yet whether Everton have finally lost patience with Frank Lampard. Uh, all I see are articles and reports and so on from journalists who are connected to Everton saying uh, Lampard is expected to lose his job today. Uh, however, I have, not, I have not yet seen whether that's true. Um, and Farid Mashiri said after the game at West Ham, um, asked about whether Lampard would now be sacked after Everton had mm. lost this game 2-0. Uh, he said, it's not my decision. Which, which was puzzling. What did he mean? Did he mean, I, you know, you think I own this club, but I don't? <laughs> did he mean, it's not my decision? As, as always, decisions at Everton are made by the fans. Is that what he meant? <laughs> it's, it's, it's unclear. Um, it sounds as though, uh, fr from what the journalists are saying, the decision has... I mean, obviously, that part is screwed. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's just been losing and losing. He gathered his football players together um, last week and told them that the one thing that they would need for this game against West Ham was balls. Again? Yeah. Wow. You need balls. You need balls, boys, for this. And unfortunately... He's very um, testicle-focused. Well, that's what football's all about, ultimately. Balls. Mm. I mean, it's in the, it's in Bollocks, the name of Excuse it. my language. It's in the but bollocks. <laughs> uh, but the Everton players have proved themselves unworthy uh, of of Lampard, who, if he did, if he is sacked today, will be the twenty third of January. Is the twenty fifth of January um, when he was sacked by Chelsea two years ago. This is a tough time of year uh, for his teams. Um, I don't know where he goes from here. You know, if it is, is he? Would would you? He's a better TV pundit than Jamie Redknapp. He'll be back to Sky, right, or, or, or just investing in property. It's property investment. You know, it's great to make money while you sleep, isn't it? Yeah. It's great. But at the same time, does it fill your waking hours with excitement? Hmm. No. You know, I suppose if you got really into it, you know, just buying and selling property could be a, a thing you could get into. But but at the same time, it's maybe it's also something you'd, you'd better left to just a wealth manager who handles that for you. You can make money when you sleep. Well, you concentrate on some mm. fun stuff. Maybe that would be punditry. Maybe he could be appointed a trade envoy of some sort. You know, maybe he yeah. could maybe he could do a job for the government because yeah. he's a he's a well known. Uh, conservative voter face. He's a well known face. He could be the new face of the Conservative Party. They're looking for a rebrand. Mm. Twenty-four points. They've got I, a twenty-six. They're they're facing a dev, uh, uh, uphill task in the next general election. Yeah. Twenty-six behi points behind Labour. I wonder if maybe if he's been damaged by this sojourn into football management, though, would he have had a better chance if he'd been parachuted into a safe seat, fresh out of New York City FC? Yeah. You know, youthful. Listen, I'm, all, all I'll say is there are a few conservative current members of parliament who have you know battled back from you know uh, setbacks uh, high profile missteps there's a few of them still trucking on yeah. so I mean I think the conservative party is, a, is an exceptional place actually to go and you know recalibrate and um, hmm. you know right some wrongs but for for um, from Everton's point of view I mean who they're going to get that's, this is not an easy question you know this is not a job which is attractive to really any manager I mean Sean Deitch yeah, well, I mean, weirdly, there was a story saying they're not looking at Sean Dyche. <laughs> that, that is a weird story to write, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to remember where, who, who actually wrote that story. They're not also not looking at Alan Kerbishley. <laughs> well, Kerbs, I mean, Kerbs has been, been off the scene for a while, uh, you know, at, at Premier League level. I mean, Dyche seems like the kind of manager who might be able to sort of instill this 
um, you know, in the balls. sense of what Sean Dyche instill the balls that are so sorely lacking at the moment. His brand is don't don't tread on me. These colours don't run and all that kind of stuff. You know, he he will he he will stand up to to these uh, bullies who are who are beating everything every week. But from his point of view, uh, you know, it's like this is a club that's chewed up a lot of managers um, since mm. since David Moyes left. Are they good enough to stay up? Could he really do anything? I mean, they've wasted most of the January window as well. That why didn't they do this before the World Cup? By the way, they had like, yeah, like like Wolves did. You know what I mean? Wolves, like if if Lopetegui has, I mean, obviously Wolves lost to Man City mm. heavily, but you know that, that's They're kind of expected. That. Yep. But like if Lopetegui has managed to have a have a fairly quick impact there, maybe it has something to do with the fact that he has been working there for a while. Um, you know, there, there's the capacity for him to bring in players, which he's already done with, like Pablo Sarabia. Whoever comes in at Everton probably won't get to do... Well, there's still a little bit of time, but, I mean, it'll be a bit of a rush job. For Deitch, you might be thinking, this is, like, this is not the job I'm waiting for. Mm. You know? The, you know, Big what's, club? It is. It is. It is and it isn't. You know? I mean, it is, but, like, it's it's a very... It's a club with a very uncertain situation financially they're building is this big stadium um but maybe they're going to go to the championship the ownership situation is very hard to understand mm. and the, everything about the future of the club is, is is you know would you you know is it a bigger club than burnley for sure um but could he maybe if he if he hangs on get a better job yeah, well, I, I mean, know. you know, if someone's going to have to get sacked for Sean Dyche to get a job, which means that whatever club he's taking over yeah. isn't going to be in, you know, A1 condition. No, no, I guess not. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's it. What else? Obviously, Evan Ferguson scored another amazing goal, and your man, um, Mitoma, looks absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> he did look good in the World Cup, to be fair, but that goal he scored at the weekend was unbelievable. Ridiculous. And he's been playing brilliantly ever since the World Cup. He, he obviously was the Japan player who cut the ball back for their goal against Spain, even though it looked like it had been offside. And I now understand that he got there just because he's he's like a greyhound. And <laughs> the man can move. Uh, Ferguson obviously scored that goal. Chelsea, Liverpool, we didn't even mention. It was a very boring yeah. game. I will say... Mikhail Mudrik came on and looked <laughs> absolutely amazing. Unbelievable, wasn't it? Oh, just the speed of his feet. Yeah. Incredible. Cody Gakpo, on the other hand. Mm. Not quite the not quite the impact that uh, Mikhail Mudrik made. No. I mean, and you know, you, you could Gakpo and, and uh, Anthony as well for you know, I mean at least Anthony has has shown that he's he can uh, he can shoot, you know, when the mood takes mm. him and has scored a few goals. But I do wonder if that whole Paying big money to guys who have been ripping it up in the Eredivisie is, is, you know, maybe if we if we were guilty of forgetting some uh, some important principles about that that practice. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've got that bit better quality. And we've just got to make it count. It might be a knob end. Is it too much to ask? It's ninety first minute that wins it. So basically, like, any chance you train? I think I really said something under his breath about Johnny or something. You're always under the table. Never fuck. Roy is Roy, isn't he? I'm sure there's lessons to be learned by everybody. And how did just go, Roy? I'm not speaking to you like this. Like you know, I'm not listening to you. When I got the sack at Sheffield United, the, the only guy that spoke to me was Roy Keane. I'll never forget that. And I thought that was a bit of class. We've got that bit better quality, and we've just got to make it count. He called me It might be a knob end in 91st minute that wins it. Well, on the line we've got um, Andrew Mangan of Arspog. How are you doing, Andrew? Hi, Ken. How are you? Very well. And we're also joined by David Snade of the northwest of England. How are you getting on there, Dave? <laughs> well, you've been tour- I, I, touring the northwest of England for, for the 42, I should say. Um, yeah. But we're going to start in, uh, in London where uh, an epic game between Arsenal and Manchester United. People were saying, oh, this is like retro Arsenal, Manchester United. And I was thinking it wasn't as good as this. It wasn't actually anywhere near as good as this uh, back in the day. This, uh, Andrew, must be about as good as Arsenal have been feeling in about 20 years. That's really true. Um, There's been a lot to go through to get to this point um and i think everybody probably heard them say on sky or whatever they were wherever they were watching the match that this is arsenal's best ever first half of a of a league season 50 points um to look at this team to see how it's been developed how it's sort of like a phoenix rising from the ashes of the post wenger uh, inferno that 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 took place you know it's um it's really really enjoyable and and what's great about it is like it doesn't feel like this is a fluke it doesn't feel like this is just a hot streak it actually feels like this is a real team that can go places and can do things on a consistent basis and i think uh you know the club Mikel Arteta and and everybody deserves a lot of credit for the way arsenal are playing now but also how they've turned things around from where they were. And do you think that Pep Guardiola also deserves a lot of credit for supplying <laughs> Arsenal with two final pieces of jigsaw? Uh, Alexander Zinchenko in this game absolutely ran the game and I've decided after watching this that he has increased the IQ of Arsenal, Arsenal's first team by about 30 points. Thank you, Pep. Thanks very much, Pep. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew he was a good player. I didn't realize quite how good he was and how influential he was. And um, we did a, a bit on our podcast last week. Uh, James, my, my co-host, basically explains Zinchenko in chess terms and said he's he's like the queen. He can just go wherever he wants on the board. And to see him pop up in all these 
like ostensibly he's a left back, but I've never seen a left back play this way. And you know what's what's really interesting about it is Arsenal have had some issues at left back in recent seasons. Um, there was Kalasinac, uh, Granite Jack has had to play there at times. And when Kieran Tierney came in, everybody went, yes, at last. Yeah. We've got a proper left back here. This is what you want. And I love Kieran Tierney. I think he's a, a great player. I think he's a tremendous character as well. But what Zinchenko is doing is it's unique. I don't think I've ever seen. Like, well, I said, what about Cancelo? I mean, you know, I've seen he, he's kind of doing what Cancelo did. But Cancelo's kind of lost form. I mean, this is the other side of it for, for Guardiola. I mean, he decided, okay, you know, Zinchenko wants to leave. He he doesn't play a lot of the time. Uh, the guy who I usually play there is better than him. I mean, you know, in terms mm. of he makes more of an impact when he when he does play. And now that player, Cancelo, has has kind of vanished over the last few months. Like his form has has disappeared. But what I mean is that that style of play for for a left back where he's actually a central midfielder for most of the game. Like a, mm. a, a playmaker who is running the game from a from a deep position rather than the kind of left back who does what he actually did in the last minute, which is get up um, on the overlap, put in a cross to, you know, for a goal. I mean, that is one of the only times I can remember him actually doing that. Yeah. Making that overlapping run outside uh, the attacker or the inside right attacker, which is usually Martinelli. Martinelli usually stays wide and Sinchenko goes into those pockets in the inside. Um, I mean, I think part of it as well, you have to say that that maybe Man City aren't quite uh, at their usual level. There's something missing. I think a couple of their players have acknowledged that there's something missing, whereas at Arsenal right now, everything appears to be in sync. Everybody is playing well. There's confidence within the group. And I think for Zinchenko to play that role um, when he and the rest of the team are high on confidence uh, is playing a part in that. But but what he does and how he does it, you know, uh, drifting over to the right-hand side, bursting pla- uh, past players in midfield, um, you know, his he had more touches than anybody yesterday. Some of his passing between the lines, not just in the game yesterday, but in, in the last couple of games has been unbelievable. Just sort of threading these balls through, which... You know, when Arsenal were playing Newcastle, for example, they were facing a very well-organized Newcastle side, but Zinchenko's passing helped Arsenal uh, create moments of danger, even though they couldn't get the goal. So um, on top of that, I think there's something about his character as well, uh, as well, that's really important to this team. You know, the experience of having won things at Manchester City, but he's a very, seems like a very determined guy. Well, did you see his interview? Um, he did an interview, I think it was in Premier League TV after the game, where he just said, you know, I, I arrived here, and then after a few training sessions, I was like, guys, like, do you realize, like, we're actually very good. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't think this team was a good, but we, we are good enough to win the league. They're not that much better than we are. You know, or I don't know if he said that. He didn't say they're not that much better. He, he said, we can actually, we can compete with them. I, I've been training with Man City for years, and the level here, we, we can do what they do. Yeah, I mean, what did he say? Something about, like, I said to the guys, you know, uh, you know, we can win the league, and a few of them are laughing. And he said, nobody's laughing now. Yeah. So, you know, th- that, that, um, that experience, and obviously Gabriel Jesus, although he's not in the team, has brought some He made of that a big impact at the start, though, didn't he? Jesus, like, yeah. I mean, he, set the, he helped to really set the tone, because he came in with a lot of swagger. 
And, uh, you know, I, I remember like his first, the first game of the season, like the first few times he was on the ball, he was doing brilliant things. And suddenly everyone was like, oh, hang on, this, this guy's really good, you know? It sort of it got the ball rolling uh, at an early point, which was, I think, really important in, in what's followed, even if he's personally been injured for a while now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. He's had a huge impact. Um, I think people use the word transformational when it came to Gabriel Jesus and, and Zinchenko as well, to an extent. But you know, I think you have to give credit to this team because Jesus has been out since the World Cup and there were question marks over the replacement, mm -hmm. Eddie Ketia. And um, I mean, boy, oh boy, is he delivering in, in the last few weeks since he came into the team. So what's happening you know, appears to be uh, much greater than the impact of any one individual, although those individuals are having a really positive impact as well. Yeah. David, um, sorry. I was going to say, yeah, no, I was going to say, Andrew, and I'm to you now, but like you mentioned that, that line about no one's laughing now, and that's actually, it's, it's interesting because everyone used to just laugh at Arsenal over the last number of years, but I actually think Arteta is the one who has almost brought a seriousness back to that club and what it's about. Like in, in the last few moments of that match yesterday, I'm thinking about five or six years ago, you're kind of thinking, I'm, I'm thinking for the last few minutes of that game, I'm actually looking forward to the end of this game because you're going to see a lot of the lunatics on Arsenal fan TV losing the plot. And it's just going to be, it's just going to be a case of like what has happened to Arsenal. This, this is what the club had become. Whereas now in those last few minutes of the game yesterday, you're expecting what happened to maybe be produced because I just feel as if like Arteta, I, I can hold my hands up when I don't mind saying this. I, I kind of slagged him at the, at the very start. I thought this is a manager who's starting off, looks as if he's just been thrown through his art. It wants to look the part on the side of the of the touchline and isn't actually going to be delivering much. But my God, like the transformation that he's been able to bring there by bringing in good players like obviously Sinchenko and Jesus, but just the sense of the mentality and just the seriousness around that club that seems to be there, that just seems to have been lacking for even for the last few years of the Wenger, the Wenger era. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right to say that the seriousness is part of it. And I think, you know, adding players like Sinchenko and Jesus, he did it at a time when he had put in place the foundations and the platforms to add those players at exactly the right time. You know, he did come in. And if you look back on what he said when he came into the club, his first press conference, and he talked about you know, how he wanted to change the culture, how he wanted, you know, the, the players to behave, to live together, all of those things. There is a seriousness to him. You know, you can see it in the way that he behaves on the sidelines, even though that obviously annoys uh, some hairy-handed people. But, you know, that's that's just part it's gonna of kill him. It's going to kill him if, if Arsenal win this league. Absolutely. And I, the you hair know, will fall out. live on being sport and I'll watch it on replay. Um, you know, it... it it is built on a seriousness, though, David. You're right, because he's had to make really difficult decisions at times with players like Ozil, with players like mm. Aubameyang. Really hard decisions to make, considering the talent of those players. But he felt they they you know they were not conducive to the kind of team that he wanted to build at Arsenal. I think we look at them right now. I know it's only halfway through the season. There's a long way to go, etc. But I think he's been proven absolutely right. Yeah, I would say like he's play wasn't it? He? He's have City at home on Valentine's Day or around Valentine's Day in, in the middle of February. Mm. We win that game, I think going to win the league. Surely, like that, that like that would be the final bit. I would say that players who might have been laughing when Sinchenko was saying they could win the league will actually properly believe it. It's like almost when remember Leicester went to City and won comfortably in that season when yeah. they won the league, and that's what, that's when everyone is. Yeah, that's when probably when everyone else said actually. Leicester at a real deal because like what you said at the start Andrew, like this isn't a fluke what's happened they've been obviously building towards this for the last for the last couple of years and it's not just 
a bit of form that Arsenal are in now. Like this is the standard and this is the kind of the calibre now that they're at. You know, it's not just a bit of a running form for a few months and uh, maybe a couple of results could knock them off stride. Like, that's not going to happen with well, this I have, I have seen the, the Leicester comparison raised a, f- a few times. And I, and I mean, there is, you know, th- there's a... Um, the thing that that is similar is that some of the clubs who maybe would have been expected, I mean, obviously Chelsea and Liverpool, um, to be maybe stronger challengers or who usually are have, have kind of collapsed and United are maybe in a bit of a building phase and City themselves are you know kind of going through a change in team which we're going to we can talk about City because you were there David at the at the Etihad um, watching the the Haaland show but uh, but there's no comparison between Arsenal and Leicester Arsenal have 50 points Arsenal have 50 points. Leicester, I think, at the, the at the halfway point had like 39 points. In fact, at this point in the in the Leicester season, Arsenal were top of the league. <laughs> I think they had 39 or 40 points or something. So the pace is way beyond anything Leicester were capable of doing. It's a much better team. Oh no, yeah, sorry. I just meant more so in terms of the significance of what, of a single game in a season, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like obviously it is that's what the point I was making, the fact that obviously that game is coming in in only a few weeks. Things like yeah, things like the 14th or 15th of Feb. So mm. that's the point I was making with that. I know what you mean. Because like, that's what I'm saying. Like what Arsenal have done. Arsenal have done pretty much what City and Liverpool have been doing. Like as I'm saying, going back to the whole point of the seriousness of it and, and what Arteta has brought. And, and clearly Zinchenko and other players who are in there, they've always realised that they can't drop points. You know what I mean? Like those days of, you know, maybe getting a draw. Like you think the next league game could be Everton away. Like before you'd say, ah, even though Everton are struggling, you might nick a point. That could be a good point. Whereas now, what what Arsenal are doing is what City and Liverpool have done in the previous years when they've won the league is just win, win, win. Yeah, That's now what they're, what they're doing. And well, it's, it's been seriously impressive. Like. Before we get on to City, I mean, you mentioned the seriousness of Arteta or the kind of new seriousness of, of Arsenal under him. What about the seriousness of Eric Ten Hag um, after this game? Like, there was none of this gallant defeat bollocks. <laughs> I've never seen a man so... He was, so, he was furious. He was absolutely furious with with the goals that the team had let in, with the fact that they had been leading and then they'd been drawing with just a couple of minutes to go and had managed yeah. losing. Like he's not going to put up with any of that nonsense. Like, I, I saw I saw the, the the MUTV interview I think where the guy was like, "Oh, it must be tough to take for the lads," and he kind of scoffed. He was like, "Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what did the lads expect when they when they do that kind of thing? I mean, you can't you can't do that." If I've told I've I've told them if you want to win things, you can't make stupid mistakes like that. It was like. Uh, I mean, pretty, pretty serious. Yeah, the guy, as you mentioned, I was at the, was at the city match yesterday. So I, I was coming down after finishing a bit of work, and it was it was one hour when I get down. So I was watching, trying to scramble on Skygo to watch a bit of the highlights and watch it in the in the taxi on the way to the airport. And it was only when I got home then and kind of I, I watched the match and watched some of the uh, analysis on on match of the day. And you see Troy Dean, and you were talking there about Herdy Hands, but Martin Keown didn't want to give. <laughs> Martin Keown was very adamant that this performance and this win was all down to Arsenal. And obviously, you're right, they, they were exceptional. But Troy Dean, he broke it down exceptionally well in each goal, how United gave away possession and how United switched off in the lead up to all three goals, like the first one. Bruno Fernandez taking too long, Odegaard nipping in, and then obviously at the back post, then you've got Wan Bissaka just totally switching off, and then Kethia getting in, and then the, the obviously the the second goal from Saka, which is 
It's an exceptional, exceptional goal. It's a brilliant goal. Like, Tom, Tom oh, Holman was going on about, about it being not, corner. I was like, how many passes were there between the corner and that? I mean, to me, that seemed like, well, there's not much you can do. Maybe David De Gea, if he doesn't take a little hop to his left, just as Saka hits the shot, can, can save that. Yeah. Well, like, that's a brilliant goal. Like, No, it is. And, but the point, I think the point that was being made, and it's true, was maybe some of the mistakes that led to some of those goals were what was happening previously. And maybe not learning from, like De Gea, trying to play out in a point when it was clearly, it was clear that Arsenal wanted him go down that channel to Ambasaka. It kind of reminded me of one of the early Stephen Kenny games with Ireland. Remember, that? I think it was the Luxembourg game when Ireland were playing out from the back and always going down the, the left-hand side. And Luxembourg were like, All right, off his goal, lads, and kept on like, either intercepting it pretty high up or the ball not getting into midfield field but then the third goal which I actually and I didn't twig it even when I was watching it on the on the phone in the in the airport was when Martinez yeah, fires players. a ball and, and it's the last minute and you're thinking you know what take your point at that point you do just take your the point and he kind of tries to play a pass out and it's brutal and they are a little bit they're just I'll, I'll be honest that's the sort of stuff now you look at what maybe an Arsenal team they're the mistakes that aren't being made yeah. you know what I mean they're, they're like Arsenal are kind of have that little bit of game management and a bit, a bit, a bit of cop on about now, which they like, wouldn't have be, had. I mean, be realistic here. Arsenal have Sinchenko. Manchester United have Aaron Wan Bissaka. Like I've never heard a player talked about as condescendingly as this guy. It's quite interesting the way people talk about him. Like during the game, you know, you had Neville going, "Well, he's not that comfortable in the ball." You know, Tyler sort of delicately, "Well, you know, obviously you don't want to pass him the ball." The, you know, Redknapp and Keane slaughtered him. I mean, Keane, you know, Keane really attacked him for the for the defensive mistake. You know, that for for basically forgetting about forgetting that Enketia existed on the on the first goal. Obviously, he was the guy who had kind of given away the corner. Uh, you know that that first corner himself and the hay had had cooked that up between themselves. Mm. But like you, you saw with Keane, he obviously doesn't rate him, and he was he he can't afford any defensive mistake. One uh, like any kind of simple defensive mistake, because then it's like, well, what is he? In the, I thought he was supposed to be a good defender at least. Tro- Troy Deeney as well was kind of like, without being disrespectful, he's not very good on the ball. I said, this is unbelievable. Like this is this is a top level, you know, uh, aspiring Champions level, Champions League level team, and you know, it's it's tough to see how you can really succeed if you're if you're carrying a player that everyone kind of says, well, obviously you can't really play football. Mm. Well, and like, like Ten Hag didn't want them in the at the start. That's why, like, he's, if you only look, he's, he's come back in from the World Cup when the lot picked up an injury. I think he was uh, ill as well coming back. Like the lot had pretty much made that that place his own purely because he's actually capable of doing something similar, nowhere near the level. I'll be honest of of what say Cancelo or Zinchenko does, where can actually come into midfield a little bit and add be an extra body because he's actually good on the ball and capable. And I, I also think he's pretty much on a similar level as a defender of Juan Basaka because I actually think some of Juan Basaka's defensive abilities, although he's great at some recovery tackles, are actually overplayed massively. Mm-hmm. And like he's in he's in there at the moment just because he's basically one of the remnants of what's there before. Like it, he he will not be part of the United team, I can't imagine going forward that would if Ten Hag wants to win the league and, and be able to challenge, someone like Juan Basaka isn't going to be a part of that. Mm. But then at the same time, I do feel, and this maybe adds into what you were saying about how he's spoken about the nature of how he came back in a few of the games, like even in the Manchester Derby, there were some moments when he actually did look like a capable footballer and he showed that he actually has got something in his locker. Well, so he's got, he's, he's got, he's got tremendous ability. You know, I mean, there's tackle on Zaha in the, in the previous game, even in this game on Martin, yeah. Martinelli. It's like, if he can see the, if he can see the opponent and see see the ball he's maybe he's the best defender in the world just when the opponent is behind him or he's got the ball that the problem starts to arise 
But yeah, but that but in but even in the few of the games since the World Cup, he actually has looked a bit better in possession. He actually has maybe looked as if you know what this could be maybe a squad player. But then what happens yesterday when you see when it's actually I don't know when in a moment like that in a game like that, you're kind of it just reminds you of his vulnerabilities and how that would be a serious weak point and. Yeah. Just I don't see other teams having this, an issue like that. I just don't. No. Like even like even City yesterday, the lad Rico Lewis and Man City he got taken off at half time, but he was just such a really good player. Yeah, really, he's really, really good, good. Although he, he could have been maybe sent off. Um, yeah, he got lucky at right one here. point. So well, I, I do want to talk about City now in a sec, but just one quick last one on Arsenal, Andrew. We're halfway mm-hmm. to the season. Arsenal are on course for a hundred points. They're clearly going to win the league. Um, <laughs> Mike, Mike, well, we don't know. Maybe they won't win the league. It'll be it'll be terrible for us if they don't at this point. So maybe we should get the uh, season awards out of the way here at the halfway stage. Who is Arsenal's player of the season after nineteen games? Wow, that's so tough. Um, I think it's probably Martin Odegaard. Um, Odegaard. He. I would have said Saka, but tell me, tell me why you say Odegaard. I just think Odegaard is, I mean, Sack is amazing. Um, you know, uh, his progression is is unbelievable considering he's still just 21 years of age. But Odegaard is the glue, if you like, in that midfield, that trio of Xhaka, uh, Partey and Odegaard. And what Odegaard does in terms of linking up play between the sort of um, midfield and attack lines, he dovetails really well with Saka, obviously, as well. He's scored a lot of goals. He's got a lot of assists. I think he's become a real leader in this team. But look, you could go from back to front and, and you know, make a good case. I know he didn't have a great game yesterday, but Ben White has been brilliant this season. William Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko, um, Partey. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really tough to sort of um, single out one. But if I had to, I would say it's Odegaard just because the level of responsibility that that comes with his role and also the captaincy that he took over this season as well. Um, I think he's taken to that extremely um, professionally in a, in a really dedicated way. And his performances uh, on the pitch have been just unbelievably consistent. And, and some of the stuff he does with the ball is crazy. The, the little flip-flop. Oh, yeah. to Jack, I didn't know what, what, just... what that was, but he kind of just sort of dinked it with like, he kind of shifted it sideways and then stabbed it mm. forward with one kind of movement. It was... Yeah, unbelievable. He's just been sensational. But like, like I said, there are so many players in this Arsenal team who could potentially be up for that award at this point, halfway point, of course. Um, David, I mentioned that you'd been at the Etihad. Tell me, first of all, about the man that you went there to see, Nathan Collins. Um, I thought he played very, very well. I thought he played like, like exceptionally well. Um, I know Martin Keown kind of flagged it as well, saying other than Haaland's goal, which obviously... Well, he, 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 did, he, did, he did a piece on how Haaland kind of crushed him like an ant for, yeah. the, uh, for the goal. And it's, but, he did play quite well other than this. That's, that was the thing and even like, I wasn't sure what to expect from City because obviously what had happened during the week and what Guardiola had been saying about, about the players and stuff but my God like, part of the reason why I thought Roy Collins was very impressive was like the first 25 minutes of that game was just I thought was relentless there was tackles flying in like um, Gundogan got absolutely chopped down shouldered into the face and like the intensity of it and like 
Like Lewis got absolutely uh, smashed as well by, oh, I think it was Quainer, the, the midfielder. He got yellow card. Like Lopetegui got shown a yellow card because he was acting like a madman on the on the side. Well, he, in like, the, he had a he had a case there. I think like in terms that was the instant we, we, it, we were talking about. Where he, he he seemed to pull down Huang and like he, he kind of lost the ball. Huang was going to go through and and it looked uh, you know that that Lewis had actually pulled him down, but the free kick got given the other way. Yeah, and like where I was and looking straight at it, it, I actually thought I actually thought it was going to be given. I actually thought it was going to be given as a Man City foul because I actually thought right. that Lewis recovered relatively well after a bit of a heavy touch, made sure he got into the path of Wan's air uh, run, okay. and wasn't blocking him. But then Wan was trying to get around him and actually had a hand over him. So, so you think it was I, it was a correct decision? I thought so when I initially when I saw it, even just in that moment, and like you're, I was I'd say looking at it in the diagonally because it was where I was sitting in the press box and it, I thought it was an actual foul I thought Lewis had done relatively well to actually recover um, but and then after that like it was it was an interesting one because I guess I'm saying the game was like so intense and it was just moments where like Wolves Collins was the one bringing that little bit of calmness when Wolves did have the ball like it was their like, tactic at some point seemed to be a case of go to the halfway line realise that there was actually no out ball up, for, up, up front and then pass back to to the defenders most of the time it was Collins but he was the one who was obviously Haaland was in, in the round there was a couple of moments where Haaland was coming short Collins was getting tight left run on him once and then got spun once but recovered well there was a couple of great interceptions from Gondigan and De Bruyne that were going to be basically Haaland was in and Collins was the one who just okay, just stepped across and then okay, stepped back and was able to slide in to knock it back to the goalkeeper and then for the goal, the goal was an interesting force because it was actually coming at a point where just as um, just as Rodri had clipped the lovely ball out for Mares and the way he took it on the run, that first touch to then set up De Bruyne for the cross. But just before that, Lewis had come into midfield and rad, rather than trying to pet, play kind of a, a true ball or, or switch it, he just passed it four yards to his left to Rodri and there was just groans everywhere. Like around the stand, and then the goal came like literally five seconds later, and it was part of that thing of just being that little bit of patient. And like, if you look at the goal as well, like I don't know, Collins. I think Keon made the point. Maybe he has to get kind of touch tight and kind of get 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 a feel of of Haaland at that moment. But if he goes out there, even though there's a fella behind him covering who could have been the one to to come in because there was no one coming behind. Mm. If, if Collins leaves where he is, he's going to just leave an even bigger gap in the middle of the goal. And like as I said, I'm like you can't do that either. You have to kind of make that judgment. And but even after that, he made two unreal goal line blocks again. Mm-hmm. Moments where he just reads, reads the danger. But then even just again, the, that little I mentioned it in the the piece wrote for uh, on the site um, yesterday. Like, there's a moment where the ball is spinning in the air. De Bruyne is closing him down. He's I think he's one of two defenders um, there before. Um, there could be a break on if De Bruyne gets it. And he just kind of touches it, spins around, little pirouette around De Bruyne, and then well, without even thinking, just a, a sharp pass down down the left and, and keeps Wolves kind of on the ball. And that was coming at a time when the game was just mad. Mm. But like he just seemed like the calmest person there. And even in the second half, like the goals, the goal, the second goal he gave away was just ridiculous, Joe Pace. Uh, oh, sorry, that was the that was the tour, sorry, yeah, the, pen, yeah. the, the penalty before that, was which was Ruben Neves fell on um, Yeah, but 
but he was just the one obviously because that's why I was there obviously I wanted to see how he was doing against Haaland and what he was like in that environment and he was the one constantly constantly talking and constantly directing fellas and just constantly seemed to be the one organising yeah. and yet at the same time he got kind of he got smashed uh, Wolves Wolves got smashed by Haaland yeah. and you know so what what did you what did you make, think of Haaland because you know obviously he's he had he had like a, a weird uh, spell there of 333 minutes I think where he didn't score uh, oh, no. He scored four goals. I was, I was writing him off at that point. He was, he was a busted flush. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, after, after the United game, it was well. He, you know, he barely touches the ball. What does he do if he's not scoring? Yesterday, fourteen touches uh, in sixty minutes that he played. Three goals. Um, you know, it's 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 almost as though he said, "Yeah, oh, you think I centre forward too much? I'm going to centre forward even harder than I've been centre forwarding." I know. Just to show, oh. you, just to show you guys. It was it's it was bizarre because like as you said like I, I was over in in the northwest of England for the last few days. Uh, I thank, thankfully got home last night and um, working on a piece. But when I landed and I was just like I going through the papers and like one of the one of the main newspapers, the national newspapers over there, like their their comment piece or analysis piece was like should Pep drop Haaland? Should City drop Haaland? And you're like, what? Like what's like what 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 is the what is the thing? And I was like, this this is just crazy. Like you know what I mean? Like I know what like. This whole thing of you know, maybe he just scores goals, and those times where, like in that in that first half when he was closing down, he did look not not disinterested, but he was just like there was, a, it was almost like there was a drudgery about the day for him. But like it wasn't as if when 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 they were in possession, like he was constantly on the move, like he does not stand still. Yeah, and it's not even as if like he is constantly going in between the centre backs. He doesn't. It's what I'm saying. He he doesn't just be kind of predictable in terms of maybe spin down a certain channel or drop off and show like he is mixing it up I would say, yeah, say yeah. constantly oh, his, movement, all, his movement is brilliant but it's all it's all directed towards scoring it's not directed towards like, he's just like well I'm here to, I'm here to score so give me the ball <laughs> no, here. I, yeah. I can if, give me the ball here I can score give me the ball there I can score um, do you think Andrew Pep Guardiola should drop Haaland I mean I'm asking I'm asking you maybe you're not you know maybe you're, you're not the most impartial voice here but it, what if you could gream a worm tongue, uh, Pep Guardiola here? <laughs> what would you suggest he does? Would you say keep Holland in the team? It's going great, or would you say maybe you want to give that guy a bit of time on the bench? He th- he thinks he's better than you. Uh, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, you, uh, you would um, say you would say leave Holland out. Yeah. I'd say leave him out. I'd say he's flattering to deceive. Uh, <laughs> it's clearly a, he's clearly the Norwegian Michael Ricketts, just having a good season. Yeah, uh, you know, a good little bit of a purple patch, and uh, yeah, definitely leave him out. Certainly don't play him against Arsenal. Um, you know, stick. I don't know, Phil Foden as a false nine, something like that. That would be that would be far preferable. You know, to get back to the to the true the real Guardiola football. Yeah, exactly. You know, the the real Pep. Do you, you like. do you get the sense with City that they can do um, what they've done in in past seasons and and win ten, twelve, fifteen matches in a row? Yeah. You of do. course, I mean, you just, but, that, but is that just your doom? Your kind of no, not really doom. I mean, I, I think. I mean, look, I, I think it's real. It's not unrealistic to think that they can do that because they've done it time and time again. Uh, you know, uh, they have a. I don't know if wobble is quite the right word, but they have a little period in the season where, like, people go, "Ooh, is something happening here?" Well, I mean, they, including their coach, who, who's who's been saying, "Look, you know, we don't have the the hunger, the fire that the that the team were." Competing against us. Mm, 
well, look, I think he he might say things publicly to try and get a a response from his team. We know that the managers and coaches do that. But look, to sort of think that City couldn't do a run of 10 or 12 games where they just relentlessly win. You know, I made this point on the, on the blog. You know that episode of The Simpsons where Bart is playing truant and he runs off and Principal Skinner is just chasing him the whole time. He's just <laughs> always behind him. That's where Arsenal are Bart Simpson and, and Man City are Principal Skinner and he just won't stop and, and City won't stop. And that's the reality of how they they operate in this league. That's how they won leagues, even when, you know, uh, Liverpool uh, at their best in the last couple of years, the last few years under Jurgen Klopp, when they just were winning, winning, winning. And in any other season, they would have won the league, you know, by a, by a distance. You have this relentless principal Skinner Man City behind them. And there's just no stopping them. So, you know, I think there is probably some measure of incompatibility when it comes to the way Haaland plays versus the way Pep uh, and Manchester City usually play themselves. But you, you can't take anything for granted. And I don't think it's an insurmountable issue, particularly when he's got whatever amount of goals it is that he's got already this 25. season. It's ridiculous. 25 in the, 25 in the league. which is, It's ridiculous. Yeah, 21 like Hull, isn't it? Is right, he yeah. as good, though? David tonight as Evan Ferguson. I mean, <laughs> goal, goal, uh, goals to minutes ratio. They're 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 about level. Um, but is there more there with Ferguson? Just as an all round package of a footballer, you know, when we when we, it's not the game is about more than just scoring goals. When we take into account all of these other things, and you know, scoring goals neck and neck, but everything else is Ferguson simply more well rounded centre forward than Erling Haaland. That goes without saying, doesn't it? I think it's uh, obvious. Um, I know, like. I don't know, like, I'm, I'm kind of, it's a strange one with Evan Ferguson because everyone you speak to, everyone says the same thing about him just in terms of, it's about his mentality and it's just his understanding of what's actually needed to have a career and, and to, to maintain where he is. And that maybe wouldn't have been there with, say, other, other, other players who have come through at the, at the same club, but also who also emerged uh, previously in terms of, yeah, he clearly has the ability, but you speak to people about him and it's just everything, how he carries himself around the place. It's how he, how he trains, how he takes on, inf how he takes on information, how he deals with certain stuff. Like they just say he's the complete package, you know what I mean? And, and like, you can only go off what people tell you and people who you kind of, maybe you will trust to give you the right information about someone. And the only thing that people say about, well, what you should be worried about is just, just the nature of football and what can happen and how things can change and stuff. But in terms of him as a as a as a fella and as a player, they all say a lot of people all say the same thing, just that he has got he's got everything to be a really, really good Premier League striker, a really, really impressive Premier is League. Is he gonna be playing for Ireland against France, David? That's what I'm asking. Well, yeah, it's clear that if he continues yeah, on, if he continues, if he if he continues where he, he's he's starting games and, and playing, and then obviously he came on during the week and scored. Like I mentioned, I don't know, you're talking messing about, about Haaland, but his header and Haaland's header are just sensational. Like the, the way he kind of in terms of timing of the run, the way he reads the cross, little things like knowing when the ball's going to come in and just it's not a fluke that he comes on at the right time and, and gets that bit of direction onto the header as well, but. When you've got a player who can come off the bench and make that impact, then you're like, right, you're Kenny, Stephen Kenny's probably thinking, well, like, I know I can trust him to come off the bench if needs be. He's doing really well. But at the same time, because he's actually been starting a couple of games, has assisted a couple of goals and also scored, 
if he can do that and stay in the, and stay in the team, because I don't know what's going to happen now. If Danny Welbeck is back fit, don't know if Brighton. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I haven't kept abreast of in the last couple of days with Brighton's own transfer activity, so I'm not sure if they're linked with a striker. They've obviously lost lost Trossard, so you're going to seems think like that they, they could maybe spend the money elsewhere in the squad. You know, yeah, well, that, that's this is part of it. It depends where what happens with the Zebri as well. Does he does he say, you know what, I have enough and trust Ferguson enough to 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 keep him in in the mix for 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 the squad because that's what he is at the moment. He's not someone who's guaranteed to start every game, but at the same time, he's someone who could easily if he maintains the level that he's at and continues at what he's doing, would probably force his way into that team. Have you, like, been, you, know, have you been impressed, Andrew? I mean, we've had a few players coming through uh, over the last decades and decades. Um, do you, are, are you like, I, I remain to be convinced that I need to see more? Well, it's a small sample size, but what an impact he's had. And he looks physically ready for the Premier League, doesn't he? And, um, you know, I saw the goal that he scored against Arsenal and it wasn't great defending. By Saliba, but yeah, but I mean, he, that's, 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 that's Saliba, he's bullying out of the way there, you know? Yeah, but what I really liked about it was when you look at the replays, there's just this really deft little touch to make the most of the mistake from Saliba and then he puts it between Ramsdale's legs as he comes out. So it wasn't just yeah. a mistake from Saliba. I think Ferguson um, really made the most of it, a really smart uh, goal. And look, um, he looks a, a hell of a prospect. I listened to Ian Wright talk to you guys about him uh, last week. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's exciting to have a player like that come through because, you know, there's nothing like a striker. There's nothing like a striker. There isn't really, and it's been, you yeah. know what, he, he sort of has that kind of Frank Stapleton um, vibe to him, that kind of uh, physique Oof, and, and presence. Frank Stapleton. Um, so, I mean, look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to um, build him up too much because that's a, yeah. that's a, a bit of a, a player to follow, but so far so good for him. And, and I think you would say, looking at the way Brighton give opportunities to young players and bring young players through. He's at, you know, almost exactly the right club. So yeah. um, it's really promising and, and fingers crossed he can keep it up. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, listen, it's been great having you on uh, this morning. Andrew Mangan and David Snay. thanks a million for joining us. Cheers, Ken. No worries, take care. Yo, I'm getting ready to put y'all up on something, man. Yo, put some respect What's the respect on my name? I've won five, five World Cups. It's personal between me and I'm going to give you some serious arm, you big stiff idiot. Okay, all right. Who are the people who are going to get together and go, ooh? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yo. Are Kante and Rudiger going to be like, ooh? As for the Quetta and Jorginho, like, ooh. Little pack of alpha dogs, like, ooh. Is Mason Mount the senior man? Ooh. Who have we got here? You know, he thinks he's he thinks he's the dogs. He thinks he's all that. We're live on Channel Five. All right, going one more. Also, they're gonna need ten plumbers to do you when I've got to finish with you. Also, you are getting it. Okay, that's pretty much it. Uh, we have Tottenham, Fulham, uh, Fulham are. Fulham are not ahead of Tottenham, are they? Oh, they're pretty close. Yeah, they're pretty close. If they if they beat Tottenham tonight uh, on Monday Night Football, they will be ahead of Tottenham. They will be in fifth uh, place in the Premier League, which is a pretty exceptional level of performance, yeah. uh, you would have to say. Um, so yet another London derby. That's on Monday Night Football tonight. There's also the Carabao Cup semi-finals. 
uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. So if you want to hear our coverage of that and so much more, hell, why not join us on the World Service? Uh, secondcaptains.com forward slash join for a fiver uh, a month plus that. That's pretty much it. Uh, thank you, Ken. Thank you very much, Kieran. Thanks a million for listening. And don't forget the Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.